part two chapter seven of saunterings in and about london by max schlesinger this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter seven four and twenty hours at the times office crossing the road the owners of the times its soul its editors difference between the times editors and the redacteurs of german newspapers the politics of the times how they write the leaders secrets letters to the editor the manager's department what the editors do the parliamentary corps the reporters gallery and refectory division discipline and occupation of the reporters mr dodd the summary man the staff the penny aligners social position of english journalism eleven a m one of the wheelers of a four-horse omnibus slipped on the pavement and fell down at the foot of the holborn street obelisk between fleet street and ludgate hill there's a stoppage the horse makes vain endeavours to get up there is no help for it but they must undo the reins buckles and straps to free him but a stoppage of five minutes in fleet street creates a stoppage in every direction to the distance of perhaps half a mile or a mile leaning as we do against the railings of the obelisk we look forwards towards st paul's and back to chancery lane up to holborn on our left and down on our right to blackfriars bridge and this vast space presents the curious spectacle of scores of omnibuses cabs gigs horses carts brewers drays coal wagons all standing still and jammed into the inextricable fix some madcap of a boy attempts the perilous passage from one side of the street to the other he jumps over carts creeps under the bellies of horses and in spite of the manifold dangers which beset him he gains the opposite pavement but those who can spare the time or who set some store by their lives had better wait besides it is pleasant to look at all this turmoil and confusion and how in the name of all that is charitable are the london pickpockets to live if people will never stand still on any account the difficulty is soon got over two policemen a posse of idle cabmen and sporting amateurs and a couple of ragged urchins to whom the being allowed to touch a horse is happiness indeed have come to the rescue loosening chains and traces getting the horse up and putting him to again it's all right the fall of a horse gives exciting occupation to a score of persons and even those who cannot assist with their hands have at least a piece of excellent advice to give to those who can exactly as if this sort of thing happened only once in every century in the crowded streets of london we may now go on halfway to ludgate hill where the shops are largest and their silks and indian shawls most precious and tempting to female eyes is a small gateway through which we pass on our road to the times office it leads us into a labyrinth of the narrowest the most wretched ill-paved and unsavoury streets of london we stumble over a couple of surly curs that would gladly bask in the sun if sun there were to bask in and over a troop of dirty boys that are trundling their hoops and twice we stumble over orange peel lying on the pavement conspicuously as if this were naples at length we turn to the left into a narrow street and reach a small square of the exact dimensions and appearance of a german backyard 
there are two trees quite lonely behind an iron railing and a door with the words the times on it a porter takes our cards a messenger leads the way into the interior of the building glad as we are to see the kind old gentleman who does the honours of the house and acts as cicerone on such occasions we can do without him we propose trying the trick of the diable boiteux and for the term of a day and a night to watch the proceedings of the editorial department of the times for the benefit of foreign journalists generally whose introductions procure them admission to the printing office only it is ten minutes past eleven o'clock mr m m the manager the factotum the soul and at the same time the sovereign of the times has been in his office these ten minutes we were detained by that wretched wheeler the soul then of the times has taken his place in the editorial body who is this manager and what are his functions mr walter founded the times he reared it fostered and organized it and gave it the stamina by means of which it has reached its height of power it was he who first attempted the use of machinery he invented a new system of composing the type he was a writer on the paper and in extreme cases he has been known to act as compositor his was a universal genius and one of no mean order he died in eighteen forty seven and bequeathed the times to his family the present mr walter the chief proprietor of the times is a member of parliament and as such his time and energies are devoted to public business the care and the responsibility of conducting the business of the times has devolved on a manager mr m m this gentleman is neither what we in germany call a redacteur nor is he what we would call an expediter or accountant he is just all in all being the sovereign lord and master within the precincts of printing-house square a heap of papers lies on his desk at his side sits the editor du jour what his functions are will be seen in the following lines the editorial functions of the times are in the hands of several individuals exactly as in the case of the great german journals but in germany each editor has his own separate department for instance home politics and foreign politics or the literary and critical departments they come to an understanding on the most important points and then act altogether independently of one another besides they meet frequently and have plenty of opportunities to exchange their views and defend their opinions hence they very often quarrel and their quarrels lead to frequent editorial crises far different is the case with the times where besides the manager there are two editors mr john d and mr george d with a third gentleman as sub-editor the two editors take the service by turns but they do not confine themselves to separate departments each of them has at the time he conducts the paper to see that it has that tone which has been decided upon in council however we will not anticipate having here hinted at the many merits of the editorial department we continue to act as invisible spectators in the times office we mentioned before that a large heap of papers was lying on the desk of mr m m and that the editor du jour was sitting by his side what are these two gentlemen doing they read the most important journals of the day 
take notes of their leading features they talk over the topics of the leading articles for the next day's paper but this is not enough the material for the leaders have been selected they are discussed in detail notes are taken of some of the more leading features of the subject and if need be the tendency is marked out in many cases there is no need of this but on some occasions the last measure is indispensable the extraordinary and quick transitions of the times are sufficiently known in germany the politics of the times are an inscrutable mystery to most men even to the majority of englishmen but the simple solution of the mystery is that the times either follows the lead of public opinion or that it contradicts public opinion only when more far-sighted than its contemporaries it foresees a change that under all circumstances and at all times it aims at a special critical interest and with an iron consistency and in an astonishing sobriety it advocates this critical interest unsparingly to the sacrifice of every other interest that is the whole enigma of its seemingly changeable politics it seizes with an unerring grasp that which is profitable for england no matter how pernicious it may be for the outside barbarians it is humane constitutional liberal and even sentimental in its views of foreign countries if england finds her advantage thereby but it is also capable of imagining an eternal spring in the icy plains of siberia if an alliance with russia should happen to advance english interests it would even defend the slave trade if it could be convinced that the cessation of that traffic would ruin the lancashire cotton manufacturers the times has often been reproached with its sudden and unaccountable changes of policy and these reproaches have been made in england and out of england but surely there is a rigid political consistency one which sometimes becomes demoniacal in this times policy it may be said that the times has now and then advocated views which certainly were not very advantageous to the interests of great britain such cases there may have been but then we have never said that the times is infallible with all its prescience and circumspection the times has sometimes been wrong in its views but we ought to remember that the very best editors are not omniscient and that the strongest of us are occasionally influenced by human sympathies and antipathies which stand in the way of an impartial decision what we have said is of general application namely that the leading idea of the times policy which is carried out with iron consistency is the promotion of british interests that for the sake of this consistency it is not afraid of committing the most flagrant apparent inconsistencies and that this is the simple explanation of its mysterious character at no one time has the times been the organ of the government or of the opposition it was always independent on certain questions it supported the ministers of the day on others it opposed them but it never made opposition for the sake of opposition and was unbending only in those questions which really affected the existence of the nation for instance in the contest between free trade and protection it may well be said of the times that it adheres to no one principle merely on account of the excellence of its theory tried practical usefulness is the faith to which it adheres under all circumstances 
in england the times is the champion of gradual and reasonable progress while in its foreign policy it clings to old allies and time-honoured systems of government and the very times which the english justly consider as a moderately liberal paper is abused among the liberals of the continent as a moderately reactionary organ while protectionist papers have for years past accused the times of having given itself up to the evil genius of democracy and the demons of manchester the radicals of all countries are fully persuaded that the same times is in the pay of austria russia and of all the devils generally but the fact is that the times is as little democratic as it is russian it is as little paid by willock as by rothschild and under all circumstances and for very good reasons it will always be found to be rather russian than austrian and rather austrian than french and always above all things it will be found to the english egotistical that is to say political to ask the times or any other reasonable political paper to take a general purely humanistic standing point and to ground its verdicts on the politics of the day on the eternal laws of the history of civilization and of moral philosophy to ask it in short to write morals instead of politics is absurd and he who can make such a demand knows nothing whatever of the position or the duties of a political journal as well might he desire that diplomatists should always scrupulously adhere to the truth or that a political paper renouncing the interests of its own country should devote itself to moral philosophy in which case we would advise it to establish its office in the most lonely island of all the lonely islands in the pacific but to what regions have our thoughts taken flight we ask the reader's pardon for this monstrous digression the temptation was too great and we naturally thought of the tendencies of the times while the manager and editor consulted about to-morrow morning's leaders the consultation is over a few short notes have been taken of its results and a sort of programme has been made for every leader documents letters from correspondents and other papers are added to each programme which is put into an envelope and sent by messenger to a certain leading article writer who a few hours afterwards sends in his article ready written these leading article writers of the times are altogether in an exceptional position at the german newspapers the leader writing is generally done by the editor now at the times the principle is generally acted upon that the editor should rather edit the paper than write it the arrangement is thoroughly reasonable in theory as well as in practice every one is naturally partial to his own productions who would quarrel with an editor if he prefers his own article to other essays when he has the selection among various papers on the same subject to save the editors from this temptation and to give them full leisure to edit attentively and impartially they have been mostly relieved from writing there are however exceptions to this salutary rule and we understand that the witty and humoristic leaders on local affairs which vie with the best of the french feuilleton are from the pen of mr m m the leading article writers have the programme of their article sent to their respective domiciles none but the editors know who these gentlemen are and what their position in life is they never except on extraordinary occasions 
come to the times office they have pledged their words to lay no claim to the authorship of their own articles or to reveal their connection with the times they have renounced all hopes of literary fame whatever credit is due to their productions belongs to the times which monopolizes all the honor and bears all the responsibility such an author has nothing but his pay he has sold his work to the journal and with it he has sold the right to change it to alter expressions to remodel parts of it or to condemn the article altogether the article is a piece of merchandise with which the purchaser may do what he likes if the writer ceases to agree with the tendencies of the times he is always at liberty to break off the connection but so long as that connection continues he is compelled to submit the form of his articles to the critical verdict of the editors the editorial department of the times really edits the paper while our german editors only write and select the former method is evidently for the benefit of the journal while the latter is more agreeable and profitable to the writers the system of the times requires that it would be impossible to find in germany the power of enormous capital a gigantic city such as london is and the english characters that is to say men authors of first-rate talent who will sacrifice praise and notoriety and take money in their stead is this self-denial created by the mere desire of making money do the leading article writers of the times rather care for the effect which is produced by their anonymity do they rather care for the cause which they advocate than for their own celebrity are they perhaps more disinterested and are german literary men more selfish is the greater moral excellence to be found here or on the other side of the channel these are delicate questions which we will not here discuss it will be seen from what we have said that the rule of the times office is more despotic than the journalistic government in germany we shall return to the subject on another occasion but for the present we turn again to the desk at which the manager is sitting besides the newspapers he has a large heap of manuscript before him letters to the editor a selection of which always appears in the times their number is legion the editors have received these letters and opened them they have condemned those which are clearly unfit for the use of the paper but the more important letters some of which may affect the policy of the journal have been reserved and are now submitted to the manager's consideration old mr walter was not indeed the man who first introduced these letters into the english press but he certainly did much to favour this participation of the public in the labours of journalism in germany too the idea has been adopted but as is usually the case with excellent english customs it has been spoiled in the adoption in england these letters form the most important polemical part of the journal in germany they are on the level with the advertisements their insertion is paid for in germany in england a journal acknowledges its obligations to its correspondents the public take a peculiar interest in the press to which they contribute and a man whose letter is inserted in the times considers himself in a certain degree as connected with the establishment he becomes its champion and reads it with great assiduity and interest the authors of rejected letters on the other hand are offended they get angry with the times they abuse it and from sheer hatred and spite they read it all the more eagerly 
a journal can exist only by means of half a world of friends and a whole world of enemies if indeed such an unalgebraic expression is admissible it can survive anything but indifference but besides the material interest which public letters have for the english newspapers there is also a higher and more general interest public affairs are more effectually discussed in this manner public opinion uttered by private persons or corporations finds a ready expression abuses are exposed matters of minor importance to the community but of paramount importance to every individual citizen are brought forward examined and canvassed and events which happen in outlying parts of the country in small towns on the coast and villages on the mountains where no paid correspondent ever lived and whither the foot of a regular reporter has never strayed are expeditiously forwarded to the great organs of public opinion so long as the insertion of such communications must be paid for it is impossible that they can be of any mentionable advantage either to the journal or to the public of course the introduction of this english system requires the gigantic size of the english papers but even in smaller papers the editors may always make a suitable selection we believe that a favourable result would soon become apparent for local affairs the events of the province or city in which the paper is published will always be most interesting to the public because they affect it most call it john bullish if you please abuse it as a grovelling matter-of-fact feeling but you cannot deny that the greater number of readers care much more for a letter on hackney coaches than for the most excellent article on the international relations between russia and persia but for charity's sake we trust our readers will not misunderstand us heaven preserve us from the misfortune that our german journals should become unmindful of russia while they discuss their local affairs but surely a way might be found of doing the one without neglecting the other even its worst enemies cannot accuse the times of a want of attention to european interests and of haute politique but the times is nevertheless the most conscientious and indefatigable local journal of london nor is it ashamed to follow up an article on the french empire with another article and one which displays as much genius on the overgrown bulk of the alderman or the sewers of houndstitch this letter then and this and this and those two will go in to-morrow the rest find a temporary asylum on the floor a few are reserved for further consideration the manager casts a glance at the foreign letters which have come by the morning mails this done the editor leaves him and devotes himself to the details of his particular department the consultation and the perusal of so many papers have taken a couple of hours the editor may by this time leave the office but the manager has a great many things to do before his day's work is over to him belongs the correspondence with the foreign agents and correspondents of the journal and with the leader writers whose accounts he settles he has to see the sub-editor who superintends the technical department of the management and he has to listen to that gentleman's report he sees the printer who gives a general account of the sale of the times on that particular day 
the cashier makes his appearance with the totals of yesterday's accounts and the sums realized from the sale of the paper the insertion of advertisements and the exact amount of the duty on stamps and advertisements which has been paid to the state the manager has to take notes of the net results of all these accounts by this time it is five o'clock and another editor makes his appearance there is always some topic to be discussed some event on which it is necessary to come to an understanding some motion before the house and some debate coming off in the course of the evening on which it is necessary to say a few words the manager's labours are ended with this consultation he leaves the office from five to nine o'clock the current business is discharged by one of the editors he reads the leaders and reports which have been sent in he transmits them to the printing office and receives all letters parcels and messages that arrive there is always plenty of work to be got through quite enough and sometimes too much for one man the editor who transacted the current business of the morning arrives at nine o'clock to share the labours of his colleague and remains a longer or shorter period according to the heaviness of the night but one of the two gentlemen never leaves the office until the journal is ready for press when he gives it the imprimatur besides he issues instructions as to the number of copies to be struck off there is no fixed number and the impression varies according to the greater or less interest of the contents of such days times but what business so will german readers ask can detain an editor until late at night the german redacteurs work scarcely ever up to midnight the french redacteurs get through their labours by eight or nine o'clock in the evening why should english editors be at their post until three or four o'clock in the morning besides the arrival of telegraphic dispatches at almost any hour in the course of the night the english editors are detained by parliamentary business the reports from the house of commons come in in batches sometimes as late as two or three o'clock in the morning the parcels from the provinces and from ireland arrive with the last trains by ten or eleven o'clock the provincial reports are usually shortened this duty devolves upon some decrepit reporter the results of whose labours are submitted to the approval of the editors they have moreover to receive persons who call on urgent business members of parliament who wish to correct the proofs of their speeches or who desire still further to expound their views to the editor to prevent the possibility of misunderstanding schemers who rush in with some patent invention which will remove all the evils that flesh is heir to and a host of strange customers of every country and of every degree in short an editor of the times is not tempted to imitate lord byron and to publish hours of idleness it is very often four o'clock before the last of them hails a cab and hurries off to his house in the far west we cannot allow our readers to follow his example we detain them in the times office and propose taking them to westminster in a tour of inquiry into the manners and customs of the english reporters and here it may be as well to remark that an english reporter has an important position in literary circles as well as in the estimation of his own journal that the name of reporter applies strictly to the gentlemen who report the parliamentary debates and that for the proper discharge of these functions it requires journalistic abilities of no common order 
great versatility and an intimate knowledge of public affairs and public men let us make an excursion to westminster a hansom cab will take us in a quarter of an hour we get out at a provisional boarded gate which leads to the reporter's gallery walk through a courtyard which is full of bricks and mortar enter a gothic door to the left mount a couple of flights of stairs open a glass door and enter a small room in which there is a very large fire this room and the stairs and corridors are lighted with gas even at midday for it is one among the practical beauties of westminster palace that the working-rooms of the reporters have scarcely any daylight the architect however has done all in his power to indemnify them for the faults of his design their rooms are as comfortable as can be and nowhere either in germany or france is so much careful attention bestowed on the convenience of the press there is a good reason why there is so large a fire in the little room we have entered it is the antechamber and also the refectory of the reporters it contains a table on which are sundry dishes of meat and pastry not at all a lucullian supper but quite enough for a frugal journalist who has no ambitions to dine at the table of the parliamentary restaurant some pots and kettles are on the hob by the fire in which the water simmers and seethes most comfortably inviting all hearers to a cup of tea or coffee on a wooden bench by the door sit two very sleepy boys half roasted by the fire and waiting for manuscript two gentlemen with their hats on are seated at the table they converse in a low voice and drink tea from very large cups they are reporters just off their turn other reporters come in and go out the little glass door is continually opening and shutting and the servant too who presides over these localities and makes politics and coffee is never idle for he has many masters in spite of all this going and coming the little room is comfortable and it is very pleasant to sit and chat in it these english reporters are altogether stately and serious men in many instances their whiskers are grey with age and their heads bald no greenhorns are they no young fellows who practise writing in the gallery such an englishman with his long legs and his smooth shaved face has always a solid appearance no matter whether he be a journalist or a drayman i believe that kind of thing is the result of race of blood and of education a narrow corridor leads from the antechamber to a set of two rooms which communicate with the gallery of the house by means of another corridor all these rooms and corridors are covered with thick carpets green morocco covered sofas are drawn up against the oak panelled walls writing tables are placed in the window niches large fires burn in marble chimneys an air of substantial comfort pervades the whole in the panelled walls there are moreover closets for the reporters to put their greatcoats and papers in and a small apartment at the side of the large rooms is devoted to a watching apparatus large marble basins with a plentiful supply of hot and cold water the english love to have numbers of these in their public and private buildings on the continent they are painfully struck with the absence of these helps to cleanliness and they mention the carelessness or indifference of our countrymen in this respect in terms of the most unqualified reprobation there is not much to be said of the reporter's gallery 
it fills the narrow side of the house and is just below the ladies gallery and above the speaker's chair it has two rows of seats scarcely more than four-and-twenty and attached to each seat is a comfortable desk none but the reporters of the great london papers are admitted to this gallery not only the public generally but also the reporters of provincial journals are excluded solely from the want of space to accommodate them the admission of foreign journalists is therefore quite out of the question demands to this effect when made have been met with a determined though polite refusal if it be considered that there are four-and-twenty seats in this gallery that each of the great london journals has on an average about twelve reporters and that the aggregate number of reporters amounts to above eighty it will be admitted that the complaints about want of space are well founded the functions of the staff of reporters the division of their labours and the manner in which they discharge their duties may best be learned from an inquiry into the organization of the times staff of reporters for the parliamentary corps of the other papers are fashioned after its model the times keeps a staff of from twelve to sixteen reporters to record the proceedings of the two houses some of them are engaged for the parliamentary session only the majority of them are young barristers whom the connection with the great journal enables to follow up their legal career and who have moreover the advantage of that thorough training which young lawyers obtain in the gallery others have annual engagements they are the old guard of the times on whose efficiency it can rely as on the working of its printing machines after the session the corps is scattered to all the four corners of the globe the barristers repair to their chambers in the inns of court and live upon the gains of their summer's labours a few of the old guard remain in london at the disposal of the journal which requires their services to attend large meetings or the progress of the queen through scotland the rest take their ease in the provinces the public libraries in their families or on the continents of europe africa asia or america a true john bull say all the english has always some reasonable object in view however mad his proceeding may appear to the outside barbarians an elderly grey-haired gentleman the summary man forms an important addition to the parliamentary staff it is his duty to prepare those condensed reports of the sitting which may be found in every english journal he ought to attend in his place from first to last that the summary may come into the printer's hands immediately after the house is up his relative position to the other reporters is that of a corporal to the privates and since we have alluded to military grades and dignities we propose at once to introduce our readers to the captain of the corps mr charles dodd editor of the famous parliamentary companion who commands the parliamentary corps of the times and whose authority is acknowledged by all the reporters of the london journals generally mr dodd must excuse the curiosity of foreigners and permit us to inspect him and the corps under his command mr dodd then is an amiable gentleman who has the whole of the parliamentary history of great britain at his fingers ends and whom many honourable members young and old might consult with the greatest advantage to the times mr dodd is in the house what the manager is in the office he manages everything connected with parliamentary matters he publishes to his corps the day and hour of the next sitting 
at one time he may be seen in the gallery helping and instructing the less experienced among his corps on other occasions he finds his way into the house to procure some document or statistical return from the members or the clerks anon he hurries to the times office to read shorten and edit the copy sent in by the reporters in short on a heavy parliamentary night mr charles dodd is everywhere and nowhere that is to say he is always rushing from westminster to the times office and back again he generally divides his corps into two detachments the young reporters take the upper house the old guard do duty in the house of commons whose sittings are longer while its motion and speeches are of greater importance and its debates more intricate in either house it is a rule that reporters relieve one another by turns from half hour to half hour mr h for instance takes his seat at the commencement of the sitting with mr c who comes next to his side the first thirty minutes over mr h retires mr c takes his seat and mr r takes the place which has just been vacated by mr c the summary man takes a position in the rear to-morrow evening the turn commences where it left off this night so that each reporter has an equal share of the work but how does mr h employ his time after his half-hour's turn in the gallery he has about two hours until his next turn but a few minutes only of these two hours can he devote to relaxation a cab stands ready for the use of the reporters he proceeds to the city and his desk in the reporters room of the times office where he converts his notes into copy this process takes about an hour or an hour and a quarter for every turn of half an hour if his report be a verbatim report and such must be made should an important man speak on an important question the writing it out takes more time everything depends on the character of the sitting but if the labor threatens to become overwhelming mr dodd interferes and sends for reinforcements from the gallery of the house of lords the copy having been prepared by the reporter and put in type in the printing-rooms proofs struck off on long narrow strips of paper are sent into the editorial sanctum where the matter already condensed by the reporters is frequently subjected to further condensation and mr dodd who makes his appearance from time to time assists in this process the proofs thus edited are corrected struck off again and submitted to the writer of parliamentary leaders who on all important occasions attends in the house itself and who in the dawn of morning commences his article on the debate which has just been closed a few hours later that article is in the hands of the london public while express trains carry it to the most distant parts of the empire if the house sits until two o'clock in the morning the labors of the last reporter of the parliamentary leader writer and of all the editors are protracted until three and sometimes four o'clock this is hard work harder than continental journalists ever dream of but it is the same in all professions an englishman no matter whether he be a tradesman or a merchant or a journalist never thinks of doing things by halves because in this country things cannot and must not be done by halves no country in the world offers so wide a sphere for a man's talents and activity as england does providing he has energy perseverance and resignation 
an english reporter on his holiday stretching his long legs on the banks of the lake of zurich is an enviable personage in the eyes of a german journalist of course no one can tell how hard he has been at work these nine months it is four o'clock a m we have passed fourteen hours at the times office the labour is now left to the printers and the two large machines which finish ten thousand copies per hour but weary though our readers may be we cannot allow them to depart for there are many matters which require mentioning hitherto we have spoken of the parliamentary corps only but there are other reporters in the service of the times and of other great journals to whom we must devote a couple of pages among these are the standing reporters in london who are occasionally employed as outsiders but who generally work in the office they make extracts from english and foreign journals and write reports on colonial affairs there are also reporters on music and the drama while the reviewing of books claims the services of a third critic there are few special reporters for the proceedings of the law courts these reports are generally sent in by barristers who practice in these courts the police reports too are not furnished by special reporters but the times and the other london journals take them from a man who keeps his own police court corps and who in his relations with the papers which employ him is personally responsible for the correctness of the reports the records of local events and accidents are furnished by the so-called penny aligners those vagrant journalists who are up by day and by night and who are present at all the police stations who always come in time to witness the perpetration of some horrible murder and who hastens along with the fire engines to the scene of every extensive conflagration taking notes which they make as long and as interesting as they possibly can and selling them to the various journals they are strange persons active acute and seasoned they flourish during the recess for at that time the london journals are not too choice in their selection of matter and at that time they make large sums of money from the sale of their atrocious murders extensive conflagrations and extraordinary friendships between dogs rabbits and water-rats or from their chance reports of the proceedings and public addresses of some successful french philanthropist if the editors did not most ruthlessly cut down their lengthy contributions the business of the penny aligners would certainly be most lucrative as it is many of them manage to live and to live well the last named three classes of english journalists serve several or all the papers at the same time their honesty is guaranteed by their own interest for they would soon lose their customers if they dared to send in incorrect reports in this conviction lies their organization it is based as every other profession or trade is in england on the twofold system of material advantage and unlimited competition as to the organization of the staff of reporters and collaborators especially at the times a great deal might be said that would appear altogether fabulous to our german journalists we allude to the strict subordination in matters of the daily duties of the paper we cannot however enter into details which might possibly lead us away from the subject matter 
suffice it to say that every times reporter should at all times be fully prepared to undertake a mission to any part of england or of the continent and that he should not leave his home for any length of time without leaving directions where he may be found in case his presence were unexpectedly required at the office we mention these matters only to show how strict is the business character which pervades even journalism in england besides the business connection there is but little of social intercourse between the various employees on a journal the very reporters of the times hardly see one another except in the office or in the house their intercourse with the editors is strictly limited to the service of the journal they have to send in their copy what the editors may please to do with that copy concerns them as little as the shoemaker who sends in a pair of boots and is duly paid for them he too has no control over the use which his customer may make of them the reporters on an english journal sacrifice their individuality to the office in order to remain in that position to an advanced age or if they are men of real talent to create for themselves a free and independent position in literature they all from the leader writer to the foreign correspondent and from the foreign correspondent down to the penny a liner submit unconditionally to the authority of the editorial body they write in their various departments what they have undertaken to write and they send it in whether or not it be printed whether it be shortened altered or put aside as waste paper is no affair of theirs what german journalist even the greenest among the green would submit to such a desecration of his talents as our poor dear germans would call it and now farewell o times office with all thy leader writers editors parliamentary reporters collaborators compositors and printers thy colossal machines move with a stunning noise until six o'clock when the press is stopped for a few moments for the insertion of some late continental dispatch the steam is then put on again the hundreds and hundreds of curiously shaped wheels turn faster and faster with bewildering regularity and large broadsheets of printed paper are heaped upon the board the printing and publishing is scarcely over when the editors make their appearance with the sole exception of saturday nights the door of the times office is never closed End of chapter seven